Shmi.org podcast coming your way, episode 439, Q&A episode coming your way, Steve Shmi and Ricky V, as in Virtuous. Ra, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? Living it up, man. Living it up. Uh, pretty good, man. So we're going to talk about four really good stereo-related topics. The first one we're going to talk about is choosing between NPP, which is nandrolone phenylpropionate, and decadurabolin, which is a type of nandrolone. So which one should we choose between the two? So let's first talk about the differences. So they're both the nandrolone steroid, but the NPP is has the phenylpropionate ester attached to it. And the decadurabolin has the decanate ester attached to it. So the nandrolone phenylpropionate, you're looking at a half-life of about five days. And then decadurabolin, you're looking at a half-life of about 15 days. So if you're running decadurabolin, it's going to take longer to reach peak in your system. It's going to take about five weeks, six weeks, to reach peak in your system, maybe even longer. The nanonephenylpropionate is going to take, I would say, maybe 20, 25 days to reach peak in your system. So also leaving your system, same thing. The nanonephenylpropionate, the MPP, is going to be out of your system within a, you know, about a month, maybe, maybe five weeks at the most. But the decadurabolin is going to take like seven weeks to be out of your system so your body can start recovering again. So at the end of the day, my opinion on this is if you want to run a short cycle, like eight weeks or less, go with it. you can go with the MPP, no problem. That's, that's the one to go with. But if you want to run a cycle 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, which is going to be really hard to recover from, then in that case, you can go ahead and run the DECA. The difference also, Rick, is the MPP, you have to inject it about three times a week. You know, about three times a week usually is the average amount that people inject it. Now, you can get away with twice a week, but I think three times a week is the best. But DECA Durabolin, you can inject that once a week and you're fine. It's got such a long-ass half-life. So, that to me is the difference between the two. I think, in my opinion, what do you think, Rick? Did I miss anything? Uh, you get a little bit more nandrolone per hundred milligrams with MPP than you do with nandrolone decanoate. Hundred milligrams of a steroid measures the whole thing with the ester chain attached and. I've said here before how the ester chain must first be removed before your body can actually utilize that steroid. And so the nandrolone decanoate, a higher percentage of those 100 milligrams are going to be ester. That's not muscle building. As opposed to nandrolone phenylpropionate, which has a shorter ester and comprises less of, less of the total weight of the hormone. So that's, that's about it. It's a good one. I mean, I, I don't know what else uh, what else to add to what you said, but that that's that's also something to consider. Maybe if you're looking to get more bang for your buck out of your steroids, the shorter esters end up being a better deal because you get 
more of of the hormone per per weight. Close the door. All right, guys. So the next question we're going to ask is how to test for estrogen and blood work, and why is this important? So I have a blood work thread. It's very popular on the forum. I'm going to link it in the show notes for those of you who are listening to it. You can go to it. But if you don't see the link, you can just Google evolution.org blood work, and it's probably going to pop up uh, for you. So uh, what I what I Listen, at the end of the day, estrogen is very, very important. If it's too low, it's going to inhibit your results. It's going to cause you to be moody. It's going to be cause you to be depressed. It's going to cause you to be have joint issues. If it's too high, it's going to cause issues with blow water retention, insomnia, high blood pressure. It's just a domino effect. And then worst of all, maybe gynecomastia, bitch tits. So you don't want your estrogen too high. You don't want it too low. So it depends on what you're running. If you're running compounds that aromatize into estrogen, then you definitely need to use some type of estrogen inhibitor or estrogen blocker on cycle. Now, aromacin, Arimidex, those are the, the top two that I recommend in that order, and those will help. But again, when you're running those, you don't want to run too much. You don't run too little. So it's important to get blood work done, and your blood work should be within range. So let's say you're running 500 milligrams of testosterone, right? And you're like, I'm going to run 50 milligrams a day of aromacin. You know, what do you think is going to happen there? You're running too much aromacin for the testosterone you're running. So you're going to end up crashing your estrogen too low. And that's going to, you know, cause your, your cycle to not be as good. So you want to basically use the right amount of aromacin. So hypothetically, if you're doing 500 milligrams a week, 12 and a half milligrams of aromacin every two or three days will be a good starting dose. And then you can run blood work on cycle and adjust it from there. Adjust it up, adjust it down. So you want your blood, you, you definitely want your estrogen levels to be where it needs to be. And really 10 to 35 PG per milliliter is the normal estradiol levels in men. So keeping it in there would be a good idea. If it starts inching over 40, then you need to adjust, either lower your testosterone levels or up your AI. And if it gets down below 15 or 12, then you need to back off on your AI because you're running too much. So Rick, get into this. Have you ever had a problem with estrogen? Well, I'm prone to gynecomastia. I had issues with estrogen since I was a, a teenager. I've said it on the podcast many a times, just to prevent gynecomastia, to me, something as little as five milligrams of Novadex a day has, has gone a long way for me when I'm using aromatizing compounds. And, and my favorite anti-estrogen is absolutely aromacin. 
just because of the way it works. Um, I don't don't feel I've ever gotten a, a bounce back in estrogen from using aromacin. So that's definitely been a, a, a go-to drug for me personally. Just those two, Novadex and aromacin, have kept my chest pretty dry and have kept me going. Now, I have thought about getting the surgery quite a lot. I think about it every time that I'm sitting there taking Novadex and worried about shooting testosterone and that making my gynecomastia symptoms worse. Also, I'm turning around 40, 41. This is around the age where most men, even if they don't use any steroids, most men will start to have a, some sugar tits, some, some, some fat accumulations on their chest and on their love handles. And it just, it just kind of happens even without a significant increase in body fat, um, in weight, I should say, even without using steroids. And so I'm, I'm keep wondering to myself if, if, utilizing these two drugs at, at the proper times is going to be enough to keep me looking dry and keep my chest looking good for years to come. So that that's, that's something I, I think about quite a lot now. And, um, you know, only time will tell I'll stay in, I'll make sure to be here on this podcast, letting you guys know how that, that goes, how that works along. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working on developing a, a cream that'll work as a good, local anti-estrogen, local tightening ferment agent. In the past, I used uh, formistane on my, on my chest, on my nipples, and that worked out great. But yeah, that, that doesn't last uh, too long. Formistane has been illegal for quite a while now. And um, I just don't have uh, any more. It's done. So now I'm looking for options, looking for something legal that I can put together. And I haven't haven't really come up with with the with the good formula to start making good pilots with yet seems like most of the good interesting stuff either it's illegal to use now it's banned or might not work properly right on the area so i'm, I'm going through kind of that process now figuring out you i've also got to figure out how much how much should i lean on either of the fat burning properties or the anti-estrogen properties of a topical cream like that and it's Something that if you guys keep listening and stay with the podcast, once the product is ready to go, it's released. I'll make sure to let everybody know where they can pick up a bottle. Uh, shit, even when we're going through some of the pilot testing phases where I give bottles out to people to try out. If you hit me up then, uh, you keep listening and you hit me up when the time is right, I'll maybe send you a, a sample bottle uh, with a, a form, a sheet you have to fill out for me and let me know what your experience was with the product when we make pilots, but um, it's, you know, it's something I'm working on right now. It's a good topical cream that you can put on your chest. That'll work for pretty much everyone across the board, either someone who's a little fatty and, and, and trying to lose some body fat and would like to reduce the size of their chest is, is one of the first and main concerns. And also just guys on the sauce, trying to prevent it, trying to prevent kind of camastia side effects or issues. Um, it, it should work for both. And I'm working on that right now. So I'm going to bring you in early on this one, Rick, talking about first cycle sustenin. But first, let me explain what sustenin is. So sustenin is made up of four different esters, just like omnidrin. They're both the same thing nowadays. Omnidrin wasn't used to, used to be not the same as sustenin, but now they're the same thing. And they use omnidrin more in Eastern Europe. And sustenin is usually used in Britain. 
for TRT. So sustenin 250 is 30 milligrams of testosterone propionate, 60 milligrams of testosterone phenylpropionate, 60 milligrams of testosterone isocapriate, and 100 milligrams of testosterone decanate. So mostly it's made up of long esters, a little bit of a intermediate ester to phenylpropionate, and then a 30, just 30 milligrams of the testosterone propionate. So I recommend sustenin. It's it was designed for TRT. It was designed to take you take the whole amp of 250 milligrams every two weeks, and that gives you about 125 milligrams a week. Or you could take 250 milligrams every two and a half weeks or three weeks, and it gives you somewhere around 100 milligrams a week for your TRT. So it was designed for less injections, infrequent injections. And this is great for people who are on long-term testosterone replacement therapy because they don't have to inject it very often. So Rick, what's your tip for a first cycle of sustenin. I can remember the first injectable I ever used was sustenin, and I injected two cc's into my shoulder, and boy, did that shit hurt. It felt like I got hit by a baseball bat after injecting that when the post-injection pain. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it depends. What are you using? Um, I'll go with some basic stuff. If you get your hands on like a, a Redject, a, a legit sustenin Redject or an amp, Redjects Redi come with a really big needle. You can replace the needle on it to a smaller gauge. It'll be uh, it'll be less less pain at the injection site just having a tinier needle. If you have an amp, and this goes for any ampules, um, score the neck, score the neck with with a little bit of sandpaper to make it easy to break off. Once you break off the neck and you stick your needle in there. If you smash a needle against the bottom of that of that ampule, even with not a lot of force, you're going to bend a little bit the microscopic tip of the needle, which will make it just a little bit harder for it to punch through the skin and just cause a little bit more pain. And that's been my experience with it. So replacing a new needle each time is, is ideal. Um, I like Sustanon with a mix of one of these long esters in the same syringe, like Equipoise is a good one. Uh, it just dulls some of the pain you get from the sustenon, uh, I found. And um, you can shoot the sustenon once or twice a week. I wouldn't go further out than once a week if you are. I mean, if you're a TRT patient, you're probably shooting that sustenon every 20 days, every 20 days, maybe every 30 days. But if you're a bodybuilder, you should be shooting it at least once a week, maybe twice a week, depending on what your cycle looks like or what kind of cycle you're doing. Twice a week shots, dilute it with some of your other steroids. It's a good way to go. Maybe you're doing a Sustanon, Equipoise, and Masteron cycle, let's say, or Trimbalone. Mix that in and shoot that twice a day. Um, as far as uh, the type of Sustanon, if you get human-grade Sustanon, Organon stuff, Omadren, something cool like that, or you get a really well-known underground brand that's you know running a really good legit operation. Chances are you're going to get in that sustenon, whatever it is that you're trying to get in there. You know, if you use kind of fly-by-night underground lab, one of these gym guys that gives you bottles that aren't labeled, little sticker at the bottom with a number telling you, hey, number six is sustenon, number ninety-nine is test. You know whatever you're doing, chances are you might not have everything you want in there. And the test to find out what you have in there is, is fairly expensive. Uh, 
Like you can, you'd have to pay for tests for each of the esters that are supposed to be in there just to figure out if this bottle has the right stuff. And chances are, if they run out of one testosterone, and chances are, if it's a four testosterone mix and they run out of one of the testosterones, they might just add a little bit more of the others and hope nobody will find out. So once a week injections, twice a week injections, pretty darn good for sustenon. And just get your stuff from a legit source or human grade, if at all possible. And then you're, you're guaranteed to have a really good, really good product, in my opinion. Oh, one more thing. If you're only doing one ampule of sustenon a week, it's fine to just shoot that in one day. If you have an amp, it's going to be hard for you to save half of it. And you could draw half of that, of that millimeter in one syringe, leave that syringe on the side for the next shot or preload it already for the next shot, leave it, put it away and then take out the other half CC for today's shot, load that syringe with everything else and then take today's shot. And then you save that syringe or reload it for the, for the next couple of days or whatever your schedule is. That's if you're doing an amp. So if ampules, if you're doing one amp a week, let's say, because your stash can equipoise and Mastron and Prima Wallen on top of all of it, then yeah, I guess just, just shoot it in one shot. Just make it easier. Don't, don't take the liquid out of there. It's sterile in, inside of that amp. You break it open. It's already exposed to the air. And then you're going to let it sit there for three days. You, you could maybe getting creating a situation where a, an actual infection could could happen. So uh, if you have a multi-dose, then I mean, it's whatever. You're going through the plunger. The rest stays in there. That's what we, we've always done. And there's definitely a lot of multi-dose uh, sustenance in, in the underground market nowadays. All of the original human-grade sustenance is all either amps or ready jacks uh, that are, you know, one, one amp with one millimeter, one, one cc or ready jacks that come loaded with the one cc already in a huge thick needle usually like a 22 gauge that you can easily just swap out for a, a 23 or 25 gauge even 25 gauges is a good gauge to shoot uh, sustenon out of last question we're gonna talk about we're gonna bounce this one around it was brought up on the forum i thought it was a really interesting one and um i'm gonna uh I'm going to talk about this a little bit and kind of let Rick finish out the show with his explanation. But um, this person wanted to know, why aren't you a freak? So that is a interesting question. And I answered it in the, you know, on the forum, you know, because this is the way I kind of answered it on the forum. I talked about, you know, my history back in my mid thirties, I, I had gone basically 10 years without ever missing a workout. The longest I went without working out had to have been like literally a five days only because I was moving, you know, and I had to deal with all this other shit when it came to moving. So, you know, so the way I look at it is, you know, at that time I was benching like over 420 pounds. I was, you know, five, six, 195 pounds, almost 200 pounds. My body fat was probably, I don't know, 13, 14%, you know, and I would drop it down to 11, 12% here and there. And then um, I was strong as a beast. I was huge. I mean, but at the end of the day, what happened was I ended up having to deal with injuries. 
And when you get injuries, you can try to lift through them. But in my situation, lifting through it didn't work in my favor because I ended up basically felt like my arm was in a vice. So basically I tore my shoulder, my right shoulder. And I also uh, had three, at least three herniated discs in my spine. So any, any weightlifter, if you've been lifting for a long time, you're going to have these types of injuries. It's just wear and tear injuries. And some of you are able to get away with it. You can get away with having a little shoulder tear. You get away with some, having some herniated discs. It's not going to be a big deal to you. But what eventually ends up happening is it's just like, you know, you just start getting inflammation build up. That's just your body trying to heal the injury. So you're going to have to take some time off from the gym when that happens. There's just no, no other way around it. So that's what I had to do. So in Basically, I went to my ortho and I went to, you know, a physical therapist and their opinion was, you know, hey, you're never going to lift heavy again. If you do lift heavy again, you're going to run the risk of completely tearing your shoulder and then you're going to need surgery. So I had to kind of get away from that lifestyle. It wasn't working. You know, our bodies just aren't made to to be like this. So the way I look at it, you know, that, that's the perspective I look at it and it's okay. Like I bench 200 pounds nowadays. That's it. I don't go much higher than that. And I'm totally okay with it. I mean, I'm leaner. I'm only like seven, 8% body fat year round. I have at least a four pack year round. Um, you know, I look good. I can go on the beach with no shirt and not be embarrassed. So I'm happy. I'm happy with the way things turned out. I don't need to be a big roided up freak on 500 milligrams a week of trend to, you know, like myself, you know, so I'm curious to hear your, your opinion. Rick, finish out the show. Tell us about uh, your answer to this. I kind of went through this in my early twenties. I thought I wanted to be a, a professional bodybuilder one day and compete. And I'm a, I'm a small, I'm a short guy. So I got muscular fairly quickly. You know, the, the taller, longer guys have a, a much harder time putting on mass and looking real thick. It was pretty easy to me. And I come from a background of doing, of being a wrestler through school and, and being into jujitsu and, and Thai boxing. I got into around the same time I was making the decision of maybe being a, a professional bodybuilder. And then when I realized that I'd had to give up some of my mobility, some of my speed, some of my flexibility, I'd have to give up to carry this weight around that I'd also have to dedicate a much larger part of my day to continue to feed and, and keep growing muscle year after year. I just kind of realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be slower. I didn't want my muscles feeling tight. Like I was wearing like a, I was wearing like a real tight kind of, kind of jacket where I couldn't throw my hands around in, in a good way. I, just didn't feel that well balanced when I would throw kicks. Uh, during jujitsu, I felt as though I was easier to tap out any of these positions, like certain triangles and and uh, certain chokes, were just kind of easier to to get off only because the the mass in my shoulders and in my own neck would help to constrict my blood flow during certain movements. So. 
it just didn't kind of uh, appeal to me to do all of this, to do a lot, to, to get in, in speedos in front of a bunch of people. It, it there, there wasn't a lot to it. I, I, I couldn't get past being embarrassed <laughs> in the gym, in the dojo, looking big and looking brolic in the locker room. But then when I would get in there, all of this mass would actually hinder me and hinder my movements and, and hinder me from really being a good, effective in martial arts. It just the, I couldn't get past the dojo and being embarrassed at the dojo to care about being looked up to or, or people uh, grading me um, and giving me points well, on the stage. Let me ask you this. If you could have become a freak, do you think you would have, or do you think you just don't have the genetics for it? Well, I've got the genetics to put on a ton of mass. Uh, I'd have to be a lot more careful as far as putting on fat along with the mass, but I have the genetics and I have, I have short limbs. Um, it, it, whenever I gain a little bit of size on my arms, they look big. So I, I, I could definitely put on the mass and, and I'm a good responder to steroids. I do really well on, on lower dosing. When I pump the dosages up, I do well on it. I don't know if I would have had the right genetics for the body structure, if all of my muscles are connected in the right places to, to look good the way like a flex wheeler does, you know, or like Kai or some of these guys where their muscles are just are just linked in at the right places. Maybe mine wouldn't have looked that great developed. But as far as kind of putting on the size and putting on the mass, um, I, was, I was fine doing that. And, and I could and did. Uh, but I knew like, OK they there's a, a there's a chance that i might develop myself to the best that i can develop my body and still just my muscles don't connect in the right ways my muscles don't look that great on stage next to a guy that's got natural genetics like again around that time you had like flesh wheeler sean ray kev lebroni this is the guys you were kind of looking at around around this time of you know the so and i just didn't know what would happen. And, and I knew, and I knew the, I had researched things enough to know the course. I knew it'd be a decade of putting on mass of eating large meals, six times a day, force feeding, sometimes starving myself out others to get to shows. I, I knew the, I knew the grind. I also understood the issues that I would have getting up to a show and having to meet, beat my body up like that. And really just kind of wasn't, it wasn't in me, in me to do it. Um, I focus a lot more on just work, <laughs> making a, a good living with just regular work and continuing to be a, a dangerous man when it came to martial arts, when it came to actual hand-to-hand -hand combat. I wanted to continue to be a, a dangerous man. And so over time, I just shift my focus to just being in great shape for, for myself, enhancing with a little bit of steroids. And one thing I know for a fact, is that this, this chemistry has always interested me since, since junior high school. You know, chemistry, biochemistry, na the natural sciences have always interested me a lot. And I probably would have continued to research steroids and, and research herbs and compounds, even if I didn't also have the, the training, the gym grind to go along with it. I would have probably maybe been just a, a researcher, but I like moving my body. I like getting to the, to the gym, to the dojo. I like training and, and getting depleted to then 
feel good, well, feel really good afterwards after a really hard workout. Those things I, I enjoy. It's part of my psychological makeup to enjoy physical training. And so I'm able to experiment on myself and try the chemistry. And, and a lot of it has been just running experiments, wanting to understand, um, being able to have the answer when people ask a question. I hate it being on the forums and seeing a question to which I, I didn't know the answer. And a lot of times throughout the, the decades, it happened. I went on the forums and saw a new question that I maybe hadn't seen before, and I didn't understand the answer. And I felt like I needed to go and find the answer um, in the text, in the medical literature. And I needed to also experiment on myself, uh, do the blood work, do the journaling, and figure, figure things out. So I'm really much more in love with the, with the science, the biochemistry of things and understanding that to utilize, obviously, in my business, which is creating nutritional supplements, myself, keeping myself health, healthy and helping those around me. There are people that come to me for help or even my own family. I help them figure out a lot of natural things they can do to keep themselves healthy. So that I think that would have always been there. And, and look, there are professional bodybuilders out there that don't really understand esters and hormones don't understand any of the chemistry of it they just like being big they respond well to it they pay a coach to tell them what to take they know maybe this creates a little water retention that doesn't they know what works well for them or not they don't really understand the chemistry behind why i don't care don't give a fuck about that they just want to look good and, and win and a lot of them do not knowing a fucking thing i've spoken to bodybuilders that get up on stage and win shit and i can tell they're not as understanding as well as versed as as well researched on what the compounds are actually doing in, in their body and 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 i have a natural curiosity for that so all right guys this sums it up for this episode we'll have another q a next week thanks for joining us take care have a good one steve have a good one guys Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.